When your parents didn't love you properly, that feeling of falling in love and then being thrown into insecurity and doubt because the other person pulls away from you can have a spooky, deep, profound kind of meaningfulness to you. And it's very easy to confuse that dark feeling with something it most definitely is not, and that's love. A key sign when people are being manipulated and lied to and lying to themselves is that they say they're confused. I hear that so much in letters. And that confusion just might be the strong and resilient part of you sensing that you've fallen again into the self-deceptive dark water of limerence. Limerence is an obsessive infatuation with somebody you can't really be with, where it kind of takes over your life, thinking about them, thinking about how the future would be, thinking about the perfect thing to say to them, but never really disclosing how you feel because you're holding on to this weird addictive energy of hope. You know if you said something, it would go away. So my letter today is from a woman I'll call Gina, and she writes, Hi, Anna. I have had a very bad childhood being raised by a narcissistic mom. My father's an alcoholic and was emotionally and physically unavailable, coming in and out of my life. Okay, that's a, quite the setup. I'm going to use my fairy pencil to circle things that I want to come back to in a second reading. Let's go through and read Gina's letter and see what's going on. Uh, I have anxious attachment as a, as a result. Anxious attachment style is uh, it's, a, it's a style of attaching to people in adulthood that's often from a wound, an attachment wound during childhood, where you weren't able to safely attach to a parent and trust them. And it can lead so many of us to do quirky things, either clinging or avoiding. Anxious attachment can lead to relationship problems. I have had a pattern of dating narcissistic men and emotionally unavailable men. Not surprising. I've been doing a lot of therapy to break the pattern. Last year, I was on vacation in another country, and I met a very charming, recently divorced man. We dated briefly, and it got physical. At first, he was communicating with me daily, then every three to four days, then every 10 to 12 days. I went back to my country, and he barely communicated with me. I was initiating contact and he would respond, but then I wouldn't hear from him for a long time. I returned to his country to do some work for a year. It was confusing, there it is, confusion. It was confusing because he had reinstated the conversation and seemed excited to see me again. However, he made no effort or gesture to see me the first month I was back while we were at a close distance. He would keep sending a message when he wouldn't hear from me, but still no plans made. My anxious attachment had been badly activated the whole time I had met him. It got to the point where I was constantly checking my phone, lost weight, and had insomnia. I finally sent a text after he sent me another message after 10 days of no news. I said that we should terminate the connection as I felt he wasn't interested. I said perhaps we could reconnect again if he was able to be consistent. He responded by saying that he didn't want a relationship. Dun -dun. However, he wanted to orient toward a relationship with me if we kept being in touch. <sighs> he then expressed interest in meeting face-to-face -to, -face to finally have a chat. And I said yes, but then I changed my mind because something felt off. I didn't believe that he was being genuine by saying he wanted a relationship with me. I also felt that he might have been seeing someone else the whole time and was keeping me on the back burner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I texted him saying I changed my mind about meeting up, saying it wasn't necessary. 
I said there were red flags for me. He insisted on meeting face to face and said I was drawing hasty conclusions. I got angry and still felt feel guilty about my next actions. I sent a last text saying I sensed a lack of respect for me and some bullshit. I also added that I felt he was keeping me as an option on ice. I said the other red flag was his emotional unavailability. I went ahead and blocked him while he was typing his response. But then my anxious attachment style was so bad I couldn't control myself. I was barely getting sleep. I saw him on a date with another woman three weeks later in town. On the one hand, I have never communicated my needs and boundaries to men in relationships, so it felt like an accomplishment. I also never get angry like that and blow up at people. I'm very agreeable and accommodating. On the other hand, I still feel terrible and guilty months later as I didn't give him a chance to respond and reacted in a childish manner by blocking him. I regret and feel like a bad person. I also still feel that perhaps I misjudged the situation as well. And maybe he really wanted to be with me afterwards. I keep thinking perhaps I miss the love of my life. I get badly triggered and nostalgic each time I see him around town. How do I move past this situation and finally let go? It seemed I tried to break my pattern but still feel terrible. Signed, Gina. Okay, Gina, I know what to do here. Wow. I'm so sorry this is happening. Um, with a narcissistic mom and an alcoholic dad, physically, emotionally unavailable, coming in and out of your life. Yes, you have anxious attachment. So here's, there's two words in anxious attachment. And I hear you taking a lot of responsibility for the anxious part, but I think where you're getting into trouble is with the attachment part. So anxious attachment gives us this capacity, it, the, the, what you're talking about, and this is so common for people who have been abused and neglected as kids, is somebody mistreats you and you you set a boundary like part of you is rational when that first happens and then the abandonment melange kicks in and you can't hold that boundary you can't hold it and so your mind starts playing tricks on you and go actually he's the love of your life actually you're a bad person and you should feel bad actually you are being terribly unfair but what i was reading is oh my gosh this guy is a scoundrel and um, not, not a good situation at all. You gave it so many chances, so many chances. But what I like, Gina, is that your intelligent inner voice is there talking to you. It's there. It's just that you keep second guessing it. So, let, so what do I mean by that? Let's see. So you met him on a vacation, recently divorced man, maybe, right? Maybe recently divorced. That feeling you had that he is with somebody else, I would put money on it. The pattern of him being all into you sometimes and then you're in the same town and he won't see you, that is somebody who's with somebody else. I, I, I you know, all of us here, we can only guess, but, but if I had to put money on it, that is definitely what I would say. <clears throat> and then you went back to your country and he barely communicated with you. So that's not a good sign, but okay. And then you initiated contact and then you wouldn't hear from him for a long time. That is a guy who's not into you, all right? Just plain and simple. If, a, if you're getting in touch with a guy and he just blows you off and doesn't answer for long periods of time, he's not interested in you romantically. I think acquaintances do that sometimes. It's no big deal. But if you just had sex with somebody, that's very bad etiquette. And it definitely means a lack of romantic seriousness. So then you say, I was confused. And that's, I've been talking a lot about this. 
Confusion is often the feeling that somebody in a addictive or limerent relationship, that's what they feel because they, they're seeing one thing with their eyes, but they're their sort of trauma wound is telling them something quite different. It's like, this guy's treating me badly. No, you're treating him badly. And that's where you go like, I'm confused. Who's, who's wrong here? But that's why it's so good. You write to somebody else and I can tell you, you know what, I'm looking at this from the outside and it looks pretty clear what's happening. So you moved back to where he was to do some work for a year. And I'm just gonna ask you, did you really do it just to do work or were you trying to be around him? Not that you did anything wrong, but I think it's really helpful to be honest with yourself. It's, I, I, if I had to put money on it, I would guess that you were just hoping you could get things going again with him because it really got to you. You were in that magic dark water that I mentioned at the beginning of this. You went into this limerence, like somehow, if you could just redeem this relationship and make it go, like everything would be okay all this distress inside that comes up around your anxious attachment, it would all be okay. But I'll tell you something, as a person who also has anxious attachment, getting married to somebody who was into me did not fix the anxious attachment. Over time, it has subsided. Over time, enough has changed and I've had enough healing that it's no longer driving me and I feel more securely attached. But I would just warn you, like a relationship will not fix you on this one. Getting the man will not fix you. And definitely, you know, if the man is just being like standoffish, it's probably going to kick up your wounds stronger. And that's the thing. If you have anxious attachment and you get into a relationship with somebody who's like aggravating it and making you genuinely feel anxious and insecure all the time, it's probably going to make your anxious attachment worse. So it's like for the long term of your healing, it's best to stay away from people who treat you like that. And I know that's easier said than done, but it's not good for you. It's like, it's just like opening up a wound, opening up a wound, opening up a wound. The best course of action is to take a period of healing, to be very, very deliberate about your healing, not just like, you know, like not having a re relationship doesn't fix you all by itself either. It's the first step toward doing the work, which would be to have tools that you use to get very honest with yourself about what your pattern is, to work on changing that pattern and doing that with the support of other people. Tools and support, that is the magic formula to change something. And I'll tell you these attachment wounds are deep. They're very deep. They're, they're you know, it's not like a quick fix. It takes consistency. It takes re really remaining in friendship with your friends on the path with you towards healing and changing the pattern. And there are many women who, have a similar pattern, who they're working on it, who, who you can be friends with. And what a positive thing that is. That's why I'm always talking about 12-step fellowships, because that's where you can meet them and support each other. Okay. So your anxious attachment was badly activated the whole time you were with them. And so, yeah, and that might happen in the best of circumstances, but it definitely happens when somebody keeps ghosting you. 10 days ghosting. Oh, geez. That's not cool. So then, um, so then you, you said that we should terminate the connection and you felt because he wasn't interested. And so I will just say right here, I'm going to nitpick here that a lot of the ways that you communicate with him sound a little bit like you're more trying to go, are you sure you don't want to come around because I'm going to leave? You know, I think we should end it because you're not interested instead of, I want to end this because this is just like not fun for me. I'm not happy. This isn't making me feel loved and secure. So I'm going by and it's not a manipulation. It's actually like you standing up for what makes you happy. And I know it's another thing that's easier said than done, but I want to put that in front of you that when you say I'm leaving because you're not giving me this thing I want, it's like an invitation for a romantic manipulator to get in there and go, I'll say the thing you want. And he did. 
And you said, oh, well, maybe we can connect again if he's able to be consistent. And, you know, sitting where I sit in life now, I totally understand, like, trying to negotiate something like that. If you change, we can be together. And I, you know, like, it sounds really good and true, but it's just like he's shown you who he is. He's shown you who he is. And so him being consistent doesn't fix it. What's going to work as a relationship is somebody who's like, wow, I'm really excited to know you, Gina. I'm, inter I'm attracted to you. I would like to spend time with you. Hey, can you, can you spend some time, you know, this weekend? Or, you know, they, they put effort in because they like you. And you might think, oh, I just don't attract guys like that. But you can if you're not all entangled with the other kind, with this kind of messy thing that takes your self-esteem and kind of puts a gray cloud over it and makes you kind of, you know, it's not attractive. And, you know, no matter how much we pretend that we're fine or, you know, we act like the breezy cool girl, our nervous system is communicating where we really are at all times. And people who are healthy, their nervous system can sense that. So other people are attracted when you genuinely feel okay about where you are, when you genuinely respect yourself enough not to date jerks and not to have them lingering in your life. That is attractive and you might be surprised who becomes interested in you when you clear all those people out of your life. That is part of my dating course. I give, you know, step-by-step -step instructions on how to do that, how to clear away the people who don't belong because either you have feelings or they do, but you don't both have feelings. You're not in a constructive mutual relationship. He admitted, I don't want a relationship. Okay, that's when I read that, I said, uh-uh, dun-dun. That is, there it is, the truth. He doesn't want a relationship. Now, this is one that really goes, I have a download on things romantic uh, manipulators say. I'll give it to you at the end of this video. And um, this is like, has to be added. It's so clever. However, I don't want a relationship, but I would like to orient toward a relationship if we keep being in touch. Now, if that isn't a bookmark, I don't know what is. To try to set you up to hope that he will want a relationship if you keep seeing him and either feeding his um, vampiric need for romantic attention through all these texts or actually getting together and having sex. But again, I'm very convinced this guy has somebody else, um, perhaps a wife, and he is keeping you on the back burner. So here's you, here's where your inner voice knows. He wanted to have a chat. You said, yes, but then you changed your mind. It fell off. Good girl. That's right. It's off. I didn't believe that he was being genuine. No, he's not. He was saying he wanted a relationship with me. Nope. He didn't say he wanted a relationship with you. He said he wanted to hang out and get face to face and orient toward a relationship. Oh dear. Oh dear. Just so for the record, when a man is into you, he will want a relationship with you. Okay. If he doesn't want to, if he says he doesn't want a relationship, just believe it. That is it. If he's saying maybe later he will, that's a bookmark. Don't, you know, that's not good enough. That's not good enough for beautiful you. You need somebody who wants a relationship right now and is doing the effort right now to get to know you, who is willing to pay attention to what your boundaries are, who's willing to notice like what's hard for you, what's easy for you, what makes you happy, what food you like, and who, who invites you to eat some of that food, who pays attention, right? Who's excited when it's your birthday, who has an idea for your birthday. That's a guy who's into you. So just use that as a reference point, or the birthday thing. That's always like, if you use one thing, the birthday. So then you said, I also felt he might've been seeing someone else the whole time and was keeping me on the back burner. Yes, 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 there's your radar. 
And you texted him saying, I ch you changed your mind about meeting up. And you said it wasn't necessary. You said there were red flags. Okay, you don't have to explain yourself. When you set a boundary, you don't need to explain yourself. Those are an invitation for a manipulative person. You're basically telling them, here's what's the deal breaker for me. Would you like to do what you will with it? You know, and he insisted on meeting face to face and said that you were drawing hasty conclusions and you got angry and you blocked him. You sent a last text saying that you sensed a lack of respect and some bullshit. Um, and I, and you also added, I felt he was keeping me as an option on ice. And the other, the other red flag was emotional unavailability. So you went ahead and blocked him while he was typing. And, but then your anxious attachment style was so bad, you couldn't control yourself. You couldn't sleep. Yeah. You went into like full meltdown, like a child would if they had run away from home, right? That was the emotional experience that you were having. That's not the physical reality of what you were doing. You were a self-respecting woman just saying, I don't want to date you. You just like, I've been miserable this whole time because you ghost me. You're, you just say one thing and you do another. And I feel like you're seeing somebody else and you're holding me on ice. Like, that's terrible. You don't want to be in a relationship who makes like when the relationship you want to be in is the one that makes you feel good. You're like, this is good. I like this. I'm happy where you become a better version of yourself, not a scared, anxious version of yourself. And I know, like, I'm going to emphasize again, the relationship won't fix you. But generally, when you're trying to evaluate who's, who's a good match for you, people who are a good match, like things work, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing shameful about it. You don't sit for 10 days wondering what happened. If they're interested in you, they, they will call. So then you went into all this guilt and you think you misjudged it. And this is such a classic, classic complex PTSD reaction that comes from that abandonment wound. Abandonment melange, Pete Walker's word for people who were actually abandoned, which you were by your parents. When anything reminds you of abandonment, like the end of a relationship. And I just want to make a distinction, like abandoning a child and leaving a child. What was it with your parents? Narcissistic mom, alcoholic dad emotionally, physically unavailable coming in and out of your life. That is genuine abandonment. When you're an adult woman, people can't really abandon you, you know, maybe in a lifeboat situation or something, but they can't really abandon you. They can decide not to get involved with you. They can get involved and break up and it triggers old abandonment wounds. And so, you know, people can argue with me about that. I, yeah, it's, you know, if you have small kids, if you were sick, there's all kinds of things that increase the gravity of leaving somebody that you don't want to be with. But ultimately, two single people, one can leave if they want to. That is part of the deal. They haven't necessarily done anything wrong. And so, you know, he had a little thing with you. He wasn't really into it. He wanted to sort of just keep you on ice. That was what he was doing. It's kind of common. Not okay. I don't like it. I don't think you should date somebody who does that to you. And so I'm trying to reason with you about why the fact that he did this, you can relax, you can release and let go. And I'll tell you what, is anybody who's ever treated you bad, whether you block them or not, if they really wanted to, they could find you and apologize, but that's not going to happen. I don't think what this guy is, this, this guy is not treating this as the love of his life or anything. That's not what it is. Your trauma wound will make anybody into that who pays you some attention. And I'm not trying to put you down. I'm speaking from experience. Trauma wounds will just like do that to our minds. It's a distorted thinking thing. 
And if we are isolated and we don't have friends in our lives and we don't have tools, it can get very big. It can be so convincing that that is just, oh, it was the love of my life. I have to go get it. It is a possible scenario that people would have a love of their life situation and somebody screws it up or they screw it up and it doesn't come to pass and years pass and, you know, they come back together. That could be something like that. But I don't hear the signs of that. There would be no way to say that somebody is the love of your life when all you'd had is this tiny, short, brief, painful, neglected little experience with them. But that's what trauma tells you. It's like that feeling, you know, ooh, the spooky, profound feeling. Like, what is that? It's love. And it's some old childhood thing. And I don't know how to control it exactly, but I know how to reason with yourself when it's happening. Get with your friends get with your tools. I have this dating course you can take um, and a membership where you can get involved with a whole bunch of people who are taking that course and my other courses and working on their healing and helping each other just stay real and honest and connected about what's going on as they date or as they take time off. So that, you know, it's just when we're together, it's a lot harder to go into delusion. When you're being honest with another person, it's a lot harder to go down the road of like blaming yourself for setting a boundary with somebody who was mistreating you. And it helps you stay in reality. And staying in reality is where all your power is. Reality, here and now, all your power is here. It's not like in fantasy and it's not in the past, it's not in the future. It's here in the little choices you make to decline to get involved with people who don't treat you well, to be open to people who do so far treat you well, and to have some standards along the way, and friends who help you remember your standards. We need friends, we need to be reminded, and that's okay. So I really would like for you to have that. You can find that in 12-step programs, or you know, some people get it in um, their religious community, some people get it in a meditation group. You can come into my membership program. There's lots and lots of people. And if you like the tools that I teach, you can all use the same tools together. And it's very powerful. Wonderful things are happening in our membership program. So Gina, I would love for you to uh, change your pattern. So you said, how do I move past and finally let go? You just let go. You, you, you stop contact and you do the positive things that help make you strong. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, Think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.